Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to customer perceived value. Uh, I am thrilled today to have a really special guest. I met him at the C-Suite Network, uh, so we're both members of that C-Suite Advisors Network. But uh, he's a, dra- a tr- real trailblazer, really energetic, passionate about helping companies grow revenue so they can create meaningful work for their employees and give back to their communities. Uh, He's got deep experience in both B2B sales and digital marketing, and he's founded Convergo. Convergo, yeah. uh, Helping companies to develop revenue growth strategies, working mostly mostly with B2B companies. So now he's the author of a new book, Revenue Growth Engine, Aligning Sales and Marketing to Accelerate Growth, uh, available on pre-order on Amazon now. So he's, uh, as I said, he's part of the C-Suite Advisors. And uh, he's also co-hosts his own Selling from the Heart podcast. He's co-founder of Kingdom Missions Fund and leads the Man Alive expedition. Uh, He's a tech geek and an avid reader, and he loves doing anything outdoors, especially if it involves a boat. Please welcome Daryl. Please welcome Daryl Amy. Hey, Mark. What's going on? It's an honor to be on the Value uh, Podcast today. This is going to be a fantastic discussion. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Well, you know, when we met, it was, we kind of wound each other up, bouncing each other to higher and higher levels of excitement (laughs) because we are such kindred spirits on so many topics. But um, I used to be, I've been in product management, product marketing, and sales. So I kind of have a a similar background to you, but I haven't written a uh, sales and marketing alignment book. So I'd love to, yeah. I, I'd love you to answer the age old question, who should be, who wins sales or marketing? Well, like, uh, like my sweet wife always asks, what do you want for dinner, this restaurant or this restaurant? I've learned the best way to answer that question is yes. <laughs> and <laughs> I, <laughs> But truly, though, and I I mean that sincerely, and I'm like you, Mark, I spent the first half, I I graduated from college with a marketing degree in my back pocket, started in sales, sales management, got involved in sales training, then I've been involved in that and digital marketing now for 17 years. And so I've I've had a foot firmly planted in both uh, sales and marketing. And I actually believe that the winner or the one at least the one that calls the shots shouldn't be sales or marketing. It should actually be the customer. That was my, that was my answer. You stole ah, me from my test. (laughs) But, but in in all sincerity, you know, we get at, I've been a part of so many uh, meetings and conversations um, where people are waxing eloquent about aligning sales and marketing. And usually, you know, you're either in a marketing circle or in a sales circle, everyone's pointing fingers. The reality is if we want to get everything moving in the same direction, I'm a firm believer that if you don't have all of your cylinders firing in the same direction, your engine isn't going to run very well, um, uh, which is a lot of what, what drove the book. 
But what can get everyone firing in the same direction is, is circling ourselves around the customer. I prefer to call them clients. I think customers buy uh, goods in, at Walmart. Clients get yeah. advice from professionals. But if, if you look at what the client actually values and the outcomes that that client wants, that then becomes, you know, it, it's like if everyone can turn their direction toward the client, sales and marketing begins to line up around what's actually going to drive results. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So um, straighten me out. If you think I've gone too far here, I'm, I'm stepping too far out on a ledge. I believe that if a company has uses something called the internal customer, mm -hmm. all right, we've got an internal customer. You're my internal customer. Uh, that's a bandaid for the fact that that person with an internal customer has not been given line of sight to the real customer. Yeah. I, I, am, um, I take, am I taking that too far? I don't think so. I think that that, uh, that statement is probably most epidemic when it comes to marketing um, and sales leadership. And what I mean by that is most, obviously salespeople are face-to-face -face with, with clients all day long. Um, what tends to happen from a marketing standpoint and sometimes from a sales leadership standpoint is we stay in, in the comfortable four walls of our office. And one of the best things I, I, every time I talk to a marketing person, you know, my, my advice is get out in the field, get out, you know, with, of course, now that's get on Zoom meetings with your clients, um, with, with your prospects. Go on the sales calls, listen in, um, because that's where, you know, I think a lot of the disconnect comes. Internal clients, all of that, that's, that's fantastic. And, and we can say that marketing has an internal client, which is, you know, helping sales. But I really think um, the, the, what you're saying is absolutely true. The focus needs to be on the actual clients themselves, particularly the ideal clients that we want to attract into our organizations. And that's when we begin to understand the things that they value, then that drives communication, marketing, yeah, you, yeah. sales, you said, you said, Yeah, you said the word that's near and dear to my heart, value. Um, I'll go, I'll ask you for another sanity check statements and, <laughs> um, being customer focused is good, but so many people don't know what that means or how to measure it. But if we say, I want you to focus on customer value, what the customer values about what we sell, you can measure that. You can track that. You can actually see what they value before they've even bought. And if we can sharpen the focus to, I say that, Customer being customer focused is good, but mm -hmm. what you were always really looking for within customer focus was customer value focus. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the kernel inside of customer focus that was always the most important. Anyway, you just didn't articulate it very clearly. Yeah, I think so. You know, I I got started on this journey years ago um, when I was selling software and and you know, software has a lot of features, bells and whistles and all of that. And what I quickly learned, <laughs> I learned a lot in my master's degree, but I learned even more in the University of Hard Knocks and going out and, and you know, in that back in the day, talking about the features, advantages and benefits of, of the software was getting me nowhere. And what I began to realize is, is people don't buy software. 
they buy the outcomes the software delivers. And it brings me back to, you know, good old Theodore Levitt, the father of modern marketing, right? Harvard Business School. He's, he held up the drill bit in his class and said, people don't buy electric drills. They don't buy drill bits. What they actually buy is holes. And when I began to realize that as a salesperson, uh, this impacted my career, my income significantly when I start, stopped talking about the drill bit and started talking uh, and asking about you know the holes <laughs> that, that clients wanted, the outcomes. And uh, you know I'm a, I'm a, f- a very passionate believer in the statement that buyers don't buy products, they buy outcomes. And the more we can understand the outcomes that our clients want, uh, I, this, I, know, I know I'm speaking to a kindred spirit here, but the more we out- understand those outcomes, um, that changes the game changes the message from marketing, it changes the sales conversation, and all of it comes from focusing on the client. No, I, I think you're right. And um, I mean, you said so many things that it's, it's about the customer outcomes. Uh, I, I actually define customer value as the desirability of the outcomes. Right, yes. Um, how much do they, how badly do they want that whole? Um, I actually, I have another colleague who said, it's not about the whole is why do you want the whole? Well, my wife has a honeydew list. So you're really buying marital bliss. (laughs) 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 Ah, okay. Got it. Right. So, um, so asking a couple of whys in terms of what that whole means, what that whole gets you. Uh, yes. how much you desire that whole, that becomes really important. It really does. You know, uh, one of the things I realize, and I talk about this in Revenue Growth Engine, is as salespeople, we walk around, you know, the, the, the proverbial sales rep has in their hand the price book, which is an inventory of all the products or services that the company sells. And what I say in the book is we don't need a product inventory. I mean, it's good to have a product inventory, but what we actually need as salespeople and marketers is we need an outcomes inventory. So we need to understand what are all of the outcomes that we can deliver to our clients. And it doesn't matter what you sell, whether you sell electric drills or you sell a cloud service or you sell consulting or accounting, it doesn't really matter what we need to know is what are the, what's the landscape, what's the inventory of outcomes that you can deliver. And then now when I'm talking to the client, instead of the sales conversation being around what product does this person need, it should be more around what outcome does this client desire. And I think the more we become literate in that, in our sales teams and marketing uh, teams, I mean, it, it, it is a game changer in terms of effectiveness and yeah, results. Man, I have, I have a tool that I work with my clients and about two thirds, three quarters of them um, want to start an engagement out with this. And I call it a value network. And it's an inventory of outcomes. Awesome. And, and at one point I called it the value landscape. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just actually did use the word landscape. And it's chapter eight in my book, uh, Radical Value. And I'm sure you've got something similar in your book, Revenue Growth Engine. Tell me about some of the techniques and tools you use in your practice in your book at Convergo. Yeah. Well, I, a lot of it begins with um, a couple realizations. Um, first of all, there, there were two big epiphanies that, that drove the book. The first is um, there's only two ways to grow revenue. 
you either, and, and this is so simple, it, it, it sometimes, but sometimes simple is good and necessary. Mm-hmm. Only two ways to grow revenue. You get more new clients or you cross sell more products and services to your additional clients. That's it. There's no other way to grow revenue. Increase well, price. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, all of that is, yeah. you know, adding value does that at both levels. So in terms of, of growing revenue, the other, and what I realized was, you know, most companies that we, we talk with are either good at one or the other. They're either good at net new business or they're good at managing their client relationships and selling more to their current clients. Um, and, and I can't tell you how many conversations I've had, Mark, I was just thinking, about a guy was, I was talking with last, uh, well, when, when were we allowed to travel? A couple of weeks ago, I was in New yeah. York and, and it was, you know, oh man, we're rocking and rolling and in, in new sales. Well, what about, you know, cross-selling between your business units and you get the eye roll, right? Oh, gee, you know, but what I began to realize is if you drive modest growth in net new business, say 10% year over year, and you drive modest growth in cross-selling, by increasing your revenue per client 10% year over year, you actually double revenue in just over 36 months. It's, it's an incredible spreadsheet exercise if you're so inclined. Um, but how are we gonna pull that off? Well, here, this is where I wanna drive to, towards value. When we look at most clients, uh, one of my favorite exercises, and this is a great exercise for anyone who's listening to do, whether you run a company or you lead a sales team or you're in marketing is, it's just to simply ask the question, who are your favorite clients to work with? And this is a great exercise, by the way, for any of our listeners, whether you're in sales, sales leadership, marketing, own a company, you know, just sit down and write out the names of five of your favorite clients to work with. Now, what I've noticed about that is not only are these companies the ones that you enjoy working with, they're usually the ones that are bringing the most revenue into the company and also have the most revenue potential. So the second question, and this is a fun exercise, Mark, is I start looking at those, those clients and go, okay, if they bought everything that our company sold, or if they took advantage of all the value that we have to offer, what would the potential revenue be from that client over the next 10 years? So I was doing this recently with a technology company in South Florida. And so we started adding it up and they have some hardware offerings, they have some services offerings, they have some software offerings. And uh, when we added it all up, their ideal client over 10 years was worth about $800,000 in revenue. And so everyone got excited, right? The owner of the company is going, yeah, this is great. And then just to contrast, I said, well, what about your average client? You know, what, what about your average client? What are they worth? And uh, over 10 years. And, and we started adding it up. And the number, I think, in that case was about $38,000. So we had over 20 times the revenue potential from an ideal client. Now, <laughs> this beautiful thing. So they just started calling them their 20Xers, right? This is our 20X client. And um, then what they began to realize is that the, the value that these ideal clients wanted and were receiving from their company was very different than the value that the average clients wanted. So the ideal clients had a different landscape of value. They had yeah. a different list of outcomes that they, they wanted and, and valued. And so the company looked at this and said, you know what, you know, we'll, we'll still take business from the average client, but if we're going to grow this company, 
and we're going to build it into something we actually enjoy coming to work, you know, where we enjoy yeah. these ideal, let's get more of these ideal clients. So then the, the, the obvious corollary from there was let's focus our message around the value that these ideal clients yeah. want around the outcomes they desire. Awesome. Yeah. And are there, what do they look like? What are, how can we measure to, cause maybe there's a couple more companies out there just like these that aren't in our 20 Xers yet. Let's go find some new 20 Xers. What is that? What does a 20 Xer look like? What do they smell like? How do That's they right. talk to us? And, um, now you've got an ideal customer profile so that you are investing your time on opportunities that where you're a more likely to win because yes. they value the things that we do better than, um, so they're just a, a better natural fit. They're natural allies. And um, we, we love working with them more. They love working with us. Absolutely. What a fun way to do business. It is. And, and so that's where, you know, when you start to look at, at value, I think the real conversation in every industry is different. But in my experience, most businesses have, um, clients they like and clients they tolerate, right? And, yeah. uh, and, and usually it's the clients they like, you know, the common things we hear is they value our opinion. They are, you know, they pay their bills on time. They respect us. They look to us for insight. Yeah. Okay. Let's get more of those. Yeah, <laughs> right? I, Let's I get do, more of those. Yeah. Yeah, I the key is value. Story. It's understanding the value that these companies, um, want and then building, building around that, but that's yeah. at the core of all of this. Yeah. I, I do that same exercise. What are our favorite customers? Um, and I try to get at it also through a different way. And that is who are the customers that make us the most miserable? Who are our, not our smallest, <laughs> customer, but the biggest, uh, P PETA customer, P I T A pain in the butt yes. customers. Uh -huh. Um, because sometimes when you're trying to develop the criteria that describe the best customer, uh, you have to come at it from the worst customer and do the opposite. Right. And so I say, well, two are your 10 best or your five best customers. Who are your five um, most painful customers? And yes, there can be a customer that makes both lists. But we want to find out what is it about them that makes them kind of uh, a struggle to deal with? And what is it about them that makes them a great deal to deal with? About maybe a third to a quarter of the time. Uh, a single customer makes both the best and the worst. Mm -hmm. um, but you can define what that best customer looks like through criteria so that you can go out and find some more. So I want to shift the topic a little bit mm -hmm. uh, because you are a uh, self-professed geek and a nerd. Um, <laughs> yes. Professed by my wife, at least. <laughs> so I want to shift the topic a little bit because uh, you are a self-professed geek and a nerd and talk a little bit about all of the marketing and sales technology that's available right now. I feel bad for a vice president of sales now because there are currently more than 400 sales technology solutions available. Uh -huh. There are more than a hundred sales training companies. There are several dozen consultants who will let you implement those, you know, uh, some combination of sales training and technology. And there's even a couple firms who won't help you implement them. They'll just help you buy them. They'll right. help you just evaluate them without even doing any implementation work. Uh, so it's a noisy, crowded, confusing space for 
sales vice president. And where would you, if you had your, your druthers and you had a sales vice president in front of you, who's looking at you with that deer in the headlights look saying, what do I do? Which of these are the most valuable? Where do you start? It's a really good question. I think, um, you know, my observation of most sales organizations is that they're on either end of the, the spectrum, if you will. They either um, got overwhelmed with this and they've buried their head in the sand on it and just, you know, said, hey, you guys use the CRM. We got one if you feel like it, <laughs> you know, yeah. so is that like that end. And, and I get that. Like, you know, there are hundreds and probably while we were on this call, there's another sales enablement piece of software that's been innovated. Uh, on the other end, I've talked with companies that, you know, they have, they're proud of their stack, right? It, it's like, it's like how many things like, do you remember that game Jenga where you just stack all these things up, right? Yeah. It's like, how many things can I put in my stack to say I'm helping my sales team be successful? And by the way, the marketing world's no different. I mean, the marketing oh, sure. world, you know, if you look at the, uh, the world of marketing automation and, and I love uh, all, by the way, I'm a geek. I love all of this stuff. Um, it's mind blowing. And, and so as a result, it can be paralyzing. When I wrote the book, Revenue Growth Engine, and obviously um, as a part of your growth engine, technology is, is, is part of what powers that. On the marketing side, we call it marketing automation technologies. And then on the sales enablement side, we, you know, all of the sales uh, technologies out there usually anchored around a CRM. Um, and I, I ended up writing, <laughs> I wrote so much about this in the book that my editor said, you can't fit that in the book. So, well, one of the interesting things is we have a second like mini book coming out after on revenue growth technologies and a, a framework um, to make good decisions around that. Um, and, and I think that's the important thing is that you begin with a framework, uh, which any good framework begins with what are our goals? Like what, what do we want to accomplish here? And um, let's stop buying technology for technology's sake. Let's understand what we're trying to accomplish and then put the pieces in place to do it. Amen, brother. I, um, are you, I was a sales training consultant for Miller Hyman, the big, the big dog in yeah. B2B sales training forever. And during my eight plus years as a consultant, there was probably a hundred other people who came and went as consultants. And every single one of them found that salespeople are really bad at understanding the customer outcomes. And I've talked to people with, who were consultants for the other big sales training. So it's not the fault of Miller Hyman, it's salespeople. So when you go to a Taz consultant or you go to a challenger consultant, mm -hmm. they're all say, yeah, salespeople are really bad at understanding customer outcomes. So I take the approach with a client that says, let's start with mapping and doing the landscape of the customer's outcome. Let's start with having you have a conversation with the customer about their outcomes and not your stuff. Right. And we'll build, we'll build a great process around that. But if you don't get good at that, none of the other bells and whistles are really going to get you where you want to go. And you're going to be surprised if you just do that, how far you get. Yeah, you know, when we created the revenue growth engine and, um, you know, it, it obviously is a metaphor around an engine um, and every good engine has to have fuel. 
Um, if you don't have good fuel in your car, it's not going to run very well. Um, and, and, uh, you know, and, and faster engines require more refined fuel. If if I'm going to power a formula one car or a jet engine, um, I'm going to have jet fuel. So, uh, what fuels a growth engine? It's a focused message and that message needs to be focused on client value. So going back to technology, what I've noticed, and I've seen this happen on both the marketing side and the sales side is there are a ton of great platforms out there, um, marketing automation platforms, sales enablement technologies, but those platforms um, all require, uh, just like a car requires fuel to run, those platforms require fuel to run. And the fuel is the content. And that content needs to be based on a what we call a focused message, which is focused on the client's outcomes. And so Probably the biggest mistake I've seen companies make when it comes to technology actually has nothing to do with the technology itself. It has to do with, I bought the technology, but I didn't put any good fuel into it. I didn't put any good content. So to go back to what you're saying, and I agree, you can, same thing, you can have a great sales methodology and there are tons of great sales methodologies out there. Um, you know, you listed uh, half a dozen of them and they, they all are great. They all work, but none of those sales methodologies work if we don't fuel it with a message and that message, if it's good fuel, it's going to be a message that's centered on what the clients and prospects value. And, um, you know, that's the ball game there. I, if I ran a, uh, one of these technology companies, I would have at least half my staff focused on helping my clients create the value driven content that they need. Because what ends up happening with a lot of these companies, people buy it. It's like the car, they don't put fuel in it and they go, this car doesn't run. And then they cancel, right? And the sales, salespeople go, well, this thing didn't work. And then the business owner goes, well, marketing automation doesn't work. Well, that's, you know, that what didn't work is you never put fuel in the, in the tank and that fuel is exactly what we're talking about today. But if you'll distill it down to the actual things that clients value, now you've got, you've got jet fuel and you can go. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. But so I wanted to switch gears a little bit um, because right now we're, we're recording this right in the beginning of week two of, COVID shakedown, lockdown, right? <laughs> right. lockdown, quarantine, all these new hashtags. <laughs> That's right. And I have, I have several clients and we've had to have discussions about how did your value change? Mm. You're the same, you're selling the same thing you mm-hmm. think, but your customers value it differently. And now we could ask cruise lines and air airlines, uh, what's happened to their value. And that is, you know, the risk, the total risk involved in buying um, airfare has, has changed. Yeah. And so the value has changed. The value of Amazon Prime, mm-hmm. that's insane now. The value of DoorDash and Grubhub, yep. it's insane. So, and I've got one client who's a small manufacturer. He's an injection molder. So he goes injection molder and he's been losing business slowly uh, for the last 15 years to China, right? Uh He's been losing business and all of a sudden in a week, 
uh, these same clients who kept on weaning, oh, this part number, we're taking it abroad. This part number, we're taking it abroad. They're, they're saying, we're shipping the tool back from China. You're going to start manufacturing all of it. Right. We suddenly found out what was wrong with having big, long supply chains. Yes. Um, so his value changed. His prices didn't change. His product didn't change. His service didn't change. His value changed. So the question is, in this time of stress, let's start with understanding how your value has changed. Look at your value networks, look at your value landscapes, your value inventories, and say, what has changed in the customer's outcome? And what are we going to do about it? And if you will do that exercise, suddenly you will find yourself leaning into this thing and not turtling, not sucking right. yourself inside the shell and going into defensive mode. And I just think that's really important right now. Share, share with me your thoughts. I've been thinking about this a lot and we've had a lot of talks um, internally and with our clients um, on this, on this particular subject. And I think what we need to do is right now we need to look in two horizons. Um, there's a very immediate horizon and then there's the, you know, what happens after all of this and where do yeah. we go? And, Here's, here was my realization on this last week as I was thinking about this, Mark, is I actually uh, had flashbacks to business school. And you remember every class in business school had Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? We all looked at the triangle and, you know, at the top is self-actualization and, you know, all of these, these great things. Wonderful. And when times are good, good, we sell at the top of the pyramid. So if, you know, we sell um, more profitability, productivity, whatever, whatever it is that the outcomes of your clients want. The problem is when the crisis happens and there's no doubt we're in an unprecedented crisis and we're all in it at the same time, we immediately shift down to the bottom of the hierarchy of needs. So in the near term, the outcomes I believe that clients want are based on the lower rungs, which are safety um, and belonging. And which was very interesting to me. The safety one was obvious, right? I mean, like how do, how do I keep my business afloat? How do I um, keep delivering to clients? How do I keep my sales team going when they're you know, not able to go face to face? All of these, who, whomever you're selling to, and and everyone's got a lot of, a lot of uh, challenges around that right now. And they're at the bottom of the pyramid. Interestingly, by the way, when I dusted off Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right above safety is belonging. And um, I was uh, literally last night at 9.30 at night, I was sitting in my backyard. I had a nice little fire going um, and just enjoying the fire. And I got a little ding on my phone. And it was some friends of mine, and they said, do you want to get on a Zoom? <laughs> right? I'm like, this is weird, but I'm sitting on my fire by a Zoom call talking to my friends because I can't see them, right? And yeah. they wanted belonging. So I think in the short term, our message needs to shift. The outcomes are, their clients want are related to safety first, belonging, all of that. We can still be selling the same products. The value perception is different. Now, as we move into the recovery, and I believe that companies need to make the shift pretty quickly from you know triage to recovery. Um, at a, at a, you may not need to start messaging around it right away, but you better be prepared. And I think the hard work that most 
sales and marketing teams need to be doing right now once you know once everything gets stable and everyone's got internet access at their house and is able to function and maybe when the kids get back from spring break what we need to be able to do now in the time uh between now and when you know whatever recovery begins and we all come out of our bunkers is we need to be thinking strategically about the value so what are clients going to value in the recovery and I think your um, story about the injection molding company is a perfect example. You know, their value is not necessarily in the quality or style or whatever of the injection molds or whatever machines or materials they use. Their value is in being able to provide supply chain security and, you know, or however they end up articulating that. And so I think what's, what's happening in the world and where we've got to really put our thinking caps on right now as marketing and sales professionals is we've got to begin forecasting and anticipating what our clients are going to value in the, in the recovery. We yeah, can fine tune it once, once we get there, but we got to start creating that stuff now. Have to start creating that stuff and we have to start getting our salespeople able to articulate and ask customers questions and, and probe for that. And, build that value into the customer uh, that yes. risk that risk reduction was something he always sold and probably always talked about but it never landed in the customer's head that that was a risk or right. or it was a risk but it wasn't a big enough risk to overcome the amount of money they were saving mm-hmm. uh, now if he can get people now that this is very real in this customer's mind what can we do besides having another COVID? Can my salespeople do to help make it this real time and time again for the next many years with my customers? How can I get them to tell the story to themselves? How can I either tell them a story and make sure that it landed or ask them questions that cause them to imagine themselves in this post-apocalyptic COVID mm-hmm. world Mm-hmm. again so that they never go back again and um i think that's that's something that both sales and marketing have to team up on and develop those kind of that kind of content you know mark maybe one of the biggest takeaways as sales and marketing professionals that that we'll have from this season is that value is dynamic um you know we think we understand our client and we know how to articulate but the reality is um, we've seen in mass scale here how everything shifted and we have to shift our conversation, right? We have to shift our, our talk track, um, our value propositions. But the reality is, you know, there, there may not be a, uh, a, a crisis like we're in right now. Thank goodness, not every, every day. But the value landscape is always shifting. And I think one of the things that's really important is that companies – stay in touch with their clients. Like I said earlier, get the marketing people out there talking with the clients and always be reevaluating your value propositions. You know, maybe it becomes something. Yeah. yeah, Always be fine tuning those because the landscape is always changing in terms of what clients value. And, And if you miss that change, you miss the opportunity to, to shift your message and you can slip into being irrelevant. Yeah. 
Well, we've been having a great conversation, which is fantastic. And I, I think we could probably go for another hour. Uh, you and I are such kindred spirits. <laughs> we are. Um, I would like to have you give your contact information uh, so that people can find you and um, connect with you. Well, absolutely. I'd love to connect with anybody. Um, you can just uh, look me up on LinkedIn, Daryl. Amy, A-M-Y, That's uh, there are not a lot of Daryl Amy's out there. Um, look me up on LinkedIn. You can also find me on Twitter at Daryl, D-A-R-R-E-L-L underscore Amy. And uh, I'd love to love to connect with you and, and just continue this dialogue. Mark, I think the discussion we've had today is, well, first of all, it's been fantastic. And, and I really appreciate you inviting me on the podcast. But I think it's also a very, very critical discussion right now for companies to be thinking about their value um, as they move, as we move into this new, somewhat unknown season. I couldn't agree more, Daryl. And uh, thank you so much for, for being a sounding board for some of my thoughts and uh, making me think I'm maybe not quite so out there. And I am really looking forward to your book, Revenue Growth Engine. So Fantastic. I'm really looking forward to working with you more. And thank you so much for your, for your time today. And thank you, everybody, for listening in. This was the uh, Value Clarity Podcast. And remember, because value only exists in your customer's mind, your success is all in your customer's head. Thanks, and have a great day. Well, it ain't easy, because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive both of you insane. If you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>